3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Pay no attention. To the inflation behind the curtain. Yep, Fed Chief Jay Powell took a page from the Wizard of Oz playbook today. And unlike in the movie, he was dead right. I mean, that's really what triggered today's rally, with the Dow jumping 189 points. New record, S&P advancing 0.29%, and then as gaining 0.40%, after being down more than a percent for most of the day. Even though the economy's heating up, Powell insists he'll keep interest rates low through 2023 because it's a mistake to worry about inflation right now. We've still got 6% unemployment. There are bigger fish to fry. Now, a lot of money managers take their cue from the bond market, and bond investors simply refuse to believe the Fed should be or would be so accommodating. These money managers, I'll tell you what they're doing. They're missing out on some very big stock moves. If instead you recognize that the Fed is the stock market's friend, well, you'll catch these moves. Honestly, though, we've got all these new investors who pay no attention to the Fed or the bond market at all. You know what? They're making it out like bandits. You may not like it, but in this market, ignorance—it is bliss. House of pleasure. I want to talk about how these groups reacted when this afternoon Powell decided to keep rates low in order to help the unemployed and underprivileged. Yeah, the people who don't work on Wall Street rather than getting bent out of shape about a few areas of the economy that are indeed running red hot, including housing. First, you got all these furry rich baby boomers who dominate Wall Street. Talk about my generation. Like me, they grew up during a period of inflated inflation. It really eroded purchasing power, and they're scarred by it. They see the specter of inflation everywhere. They expect the Fed to ruthlessly tamp it down, and for most of our career, that's exactly what the Fed did. Then there's uh, group number two. Those of us, us, who think Jay pals right, either because inflation is likely to be transient or because a little inflation is a small price to pay for a stronger labor market with so many people being left behind because of the pandemic. Finally, you've got the third group, and this is the ignorance Bliss cohort. These people are getting big stimulus checks this week, and they just found out they don't need to file their taxes till May. This camp has no interest in the Fed or the bond market. They just want to make money in stocks. These are mostly younger investors who've never lived through a period of elevated inflation. So when they see stocks getting pummeled by inflation fears, they dismiss it as some sort of prehistoric baby boomer superstition. Yeah, they don't want to hear about the bond market or interest rates. I mean, like, who cares? Throw me the diamond hands, YOLO, you bunch of losers. So, who's right? When I say Jay Powell is subliminally telling us to pay no attention to the inflation boogeyman behind the curtain, I'm acknowledging that my fellow baby boomers, But well, they got a point. The big money pullers, uh, especially the hedge fund managers, they believe that Jay Powell's deliberately ignoring inflation because he's not the kind of traditional hard money Fed chair they want. They see Powell as a bleeding heart liberal. Never mind that he was a Republican appointee or that Trump spent years bashing him for being too hawkish. God I can't win. All right, where's the inflation? All right, last time we heard from Dow Chemical on this show about how lots of chemical plants are being shut down by a big storm in Texas and Louisiana. That's pushing up the price of nearly every form of plastic building block of our society. These price increases are insane, but they're sticking. We know there's tremendous demand for copper. Look at that price. Aluminum. The latter finally moving up after years of dormancy. Price of lumber doubled in the last year. That's the biggest cost of new housing, besides labor, which is also rising. Today, Lenar reported barn burner of a quarter, in part because they can charge more for houses. Those prices are sticking. We see steel increases one after another after another. Semiconductor prices soaring because of chip shortages all over the place. There's an unprecedented level of demand, and it's not going down anytime soon. The result? Cars and trucks cost more. And the scarcity of both is driving up prices, including for used cars. Oh, and don't even get me started about oil. You see that every day. How widespread is inflation? Listen, Hershey. Hershey caught an upgrade today. And the most salient reason the research firm gave? Unlike every other important agricultural commodity, the price of cocoa isn't increasing. Powell sees all this, and he dismisses it as short-term in nature. But these older money managers think he's making a huge mistake. Once inflation gets rolling, they believe it spirals out of control. So they're dumping the growth stocks, dumping them because their future earnings are worth less in a world of inflated, of elevated inflation. Meanwhile, they're piling into the stocks of companies that can put through big price increases. Anything that makes, bends, twists, or spindles a commodity. Like Caterpillar, deer. All right, how about the second group? that don't worry about a cohort. All right, well, the first group wants to wear silly buttons that say whip inflation now Those of us in the second cohort, and I count myself as a member, we want a pin that says, I'm with Jay. Why? In part because uh, a lot of these price increases, indeed, are the result of temporary shortages, like the weather. You give it some time, the bottlenecks will clear, and prices will come back down. And if you tighten now, and the prices come back down, then we'll we'll have a recession for every second. Just as important, if the Fed wants to stamp out inflation, it has to slam the brakes on the whole economy. That seems like a bad deal right now. We still haven't fully recovered from the pandemic. Entire industries have been devastated, service industries. Millions of jobs lost haven't come back yet. Why the heck would the Fed try to slow down the economy now before everybody's vaccinated, gotten their jobs back? Finally, there's this third group that I like so much, which represents a big chunk of the Robinhood or Cash App that's owned by Square Crowd, who've been drawn in by the commission-free trading and the love of it. Oh, they've tasted it. Now, there are millions of these people who are about to get stimulus checks, and they know they want to put a decent chunk of that money to work in the stock market. So they're buying stocks with gusto. Now, they didn't know that j talk talked today. They didn't. I mean, they may not even know who j is. is. Uh, they don't get that stocks have historically keyed off of bonds. They don't care about that. Here's what they do know. You make no money in bonds. True. You make no money in cash. True. But ever since the market bottomed a year ago, you make big money in stocks. True. Their buying is what supports this bull market. They're the ones who can't be bothered with the baby boomers inflation obsession. They just wish us boomers would just fade away. So where does it put us? Here's the bottom line. The market's got three camps. The one that's leaving the stage kicking and screaming because they can't believe the Wizard of Oz is the Fed chief. Then the one that says, Jay, we trust. And then the ignorance is bliss crowd that just wants to go buy some Tesla or put their stimulus money to work in one of the visionary Arc ETS of Kathy Wood. What matters is that two of these three camps like stocks, which is why we rallied today instead of going down, which is what might have happened if the inflationistas were still running the darn show. Let's speak to Jason in New Jersey. Jason. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me on. Go Birds. Go Birds. Well, what are your thoughts on Neo? NIO, uh, electric like oh. car company, unique battery experience. Look, Jason, I, gonna I'm going to tell you about Neo. I, when I get up, Neo's trading like crazy, and I get up at 3:30, and then when I go to bed, Neo's trading like this thing just is none of a trade. I 95 million shares today. I will say this: I remember it when it was at 3, 5, 7, 10. If I come in at 44 and say buy it, I'm afraid I will end up saying I got you in late. I know it's exciting, but I would rather have you and Tesla. Can we go to Susan in New York, please? Susan.
4: Hi, Kim. Susan. I'm a long- Hi. I'm a longtime fan, and it's great to have you back on the air again this week. Yes,
3: That's thank you. I feel good. It was
4: not thank anywhere you. near as exciting, informative, or, or interesting you. without you. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. I would like to invest in a dividend-paying company that looks like it's got the ability to increase its price per share value. I've been thinking about Abzi, and I would really like to know what your thoughts
3: are about. The- well, they got you know they, there was an issue with one of their drugs. It's a very important drug. I'm not going to dismiss it. The Rindvok, uh drug, and the FDA is given a little harder time. I think this new FDA is just a little more uh, prone to scrutiny. And that I told people who subscribe to com that maybe we get some downgraders tomorrow, but you should be a buyer. Because the stock is too cheap, and I suspect that this is just a speed bump. And thank you for the nice words. Tom in Pennsylvania. Tom! Jim, a big Amish booyah from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Holy cow, man. Good to have you on the show. Witness. question's
4: about American Tower Corporation. You said we'd be safe in
3: Philadelphia. You were wrong. American Tower, I like yeah. American Tower. I don't get Look, all these companies, whether it be Verizon, whether it be AT&T, or even, yes, even, yes, the much-loved T-Mobile, do need more towers. And American Tower is a great company. AMT called me a buyer. Market's got three camps, two out of three like stocks. That's the majority. All man money tonight. In the early days of the internet, it was exciting to find ratings and reviews on a site that was called Angie's List. Well, that's since changed. And it's one reason the Angie's, well, they got rid of the list. And it's a brand that now is, let's just say sui generis. That means it's a loan. We'll talk to the new CEO about this rebranding. Then, a year since the COVID pandemic began, we're going to sit down with Shopify to talk the state of small business. And a few important mortgage rates climbed higher. I'm talking to the state of the housing sector with one of the major players in the lending space. His stock just seems way too cheap. We got to find out about that one. So I would stay with Kramer.
5: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question?
3: into the home improvement space once the world goes back to normal? That's the big question for Angie Inc. Now, that's a company formerly known as Angie Home Services. This is the parent of Home Advisor, the site that helps you find contractors, and Angie List, the crowdsourced review site for local businesses. Many of you have used this. Late last month, the company announced some leadership changes to try to reignite its growth after years of, uh, let's say, soft numbers. So, can they get their mojo back? Let's check in with Oshin Hanrahan. He's the new CEO of Angie. I'm brand new. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Henry and welcome to Mad Money. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Okay, so Oshin, I don't think people know that much about your new model and they certainly may not even know the total addressable market size that you have. So why don't you talk about your opportunities, tell people how they get to use you, and, and I'm talking about not just the customers but the service professionals too.
1: Look, this is a huge market. It's $500 billion. It's a half a trillion dollars a it's everything you need done inside your home, and the way to the way to engage with that is to go to Angie.com or download the new Angie mobile app. And it's as easy as it's as easy as it can possibly be for everything you need done inside your home. Whether you're looking to get uh, whether you're looking to get something painted or something taken care of, you can just go to Angie.com. You can see a professional right there, communicate with them, message them. You can pay the professional right inside the app. You can get financing. Or you can use our newer model where you can just buy the service directly from us. Those NG services that we're selling direct to the consumer is a really, really, really easy way to buy uh, to buy to buy services for your home. All right, so in give me the, the pro- give me the give me this
3: value proposition. I come in and I say, listen, I got a uh, word of mouth. I have my friend told me to use this plumber. That plumber comes, I really don't know how much he's gonna charge me. Maybe I bargain, or then maybe I say, I don't even want him because I don't know how much things cost, and I get scared and I leave the job to not even be done. Is that the enemy of Angie?
1: Look, there's so much friction in the buying process. You think about it. You're looking to find somebody. You're looking to negotiate with them. You're looking to figure out, are they gonna do a good job? Do they have insurance? Will they only accept check or cash? Sometimes they'll want payment up front. They won't offer financing. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in home services and home projects. Angie takes care of all of that by making it unbelievably easy to take care of all the things you need done inside your home. On the other side, there's a quarter million small businesses that use Angie to get work. So you think about the, the challenges they face, whether they're out in the market, trying to grow their business, trying to find the right customer to fit their needs. We've got a quarter million small businesses that use Angie to buy leads from us, to buy ads on the platform, and now to sell their services directly to our 20 million homeowners that we're all ultimately here to serve.
3: All right. So people are trying to understand your model and your models change a little bit. What happens if I tell a person, well, look, uh, oh, the, service, the service professionals, they, may, they pay for leads, but the customer, what does the customer pay? How does Angie make its money?
1: Look, there's two different ways you can engage with the platform. And that's what's, that's what's really great about the new Angie model. We're really putting the customer first. If you wanna to come to Angie and you wanna to talk to a pro and you wanna engage with them and have a conversation offline, you can use Angie and we'll connect you with our marketplace pros. If you just wanna to go to Angie and buy a service directly from us, you can just buy the service right there at the top of a button or the top of your finger in the app. And throughout all that, we're really putting the customer at the center of everything that we do. Look, if there's a half a trillion dollars today of total addressable market, we really want to go after that and make sure that we continue to grow and support our customers so that we can build a great business.
3: Right now, I always tell people to do some homework. If they do any homework at all, they're going to see a slide. And it says Angie Home Services, Airbnb, Uber, Zillow, Etsy, eBay. Why should you be in that company?
1: Look, this is an enormous market. It's unbelievably broken. You think about all the pain that people go through to get, care, get things done inside their home. It's such a clunky experience. We can build something great. We're the largest player in the category. But you think about it, we're tiny relative to the overall size of the market. We got this amazing opportunity to take what is a really clunky broken model. And today, if you go to Angie or go to the Angie mobile or Angie.com or you go to the Angie mobile app, you can have a very unique experience that you can't get anywhere else. There's no one with 20 million plus consumers. There's no one with a quarter million service providers on the platform. And there's no one that's saying, hey, we're here to help you love where you live. We're here to build Angie into the home for everything home.
3: What I found was very intriguing. In most recent conference call, Glenn Schiffman, your CFO, a very wise man, he said the average American should, okay, should do about 12 jobs a year on his or her home, but it's too darn hard. So we end up doing an average of 1.8 for our customers. So to me, what it says is people aren't doing enough to preserve their home value Homes lose value over time. If they got the mobile app from Angie, they would do the maintenance work and their house would increase in value.
1: Look, I think there's this huge opportunity. If you're you're someone who's, you know, in that 30 to 50 year old bracket, you're likely gonna spend more on your home year over year over year. And that's because your home can increase in value. And we're here to say, look, we've got that 1.8 number you quoted today. All we've got to do is make the experience easier for our customers and they'll keep coming back. If we make that experience unbelievably easy by supporting our pros, giving them great work, then our customers will keep coming back year after year after year and we'll take that uh We'll take that market share up and we'll see us really change the category from one that's incredibly fragmented to one that's much more consolidated on Angie.
3: Well, I am glad you came on to tell this because I did do a piece many years ago about Angie where I basically said I'm completely mystified about how they do, how they make their money, what they're up to. Well, I'm not mystified anymore, and you've explained it very well. O'Sheen Hammerhand, the CEO of Angie. It's great to have you on the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you. We have money back after the break.
5: Coming up. Can the company driving an e-commerce evolution give your portfolio an edge? Kramer shops for answers
2: next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
7: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S.
0: restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
3: Over the last month, the best performers of 2020 have been kicked to the curb through no fault of their own. They just went out of style on the darn Wall Street fashion show. But most of these companies are not going away. And their stocks get cheaper as they go lower. Take Kramer Face Shopify, the software company that helps small medium-sized businesses and some large ones set up their own e-commerce operations. Here's a stock that surged from around $300 at its low last year to nearly $1,500 at its peak last month as the pandemic forced small operators to go digital or go under. In the last five weeks, though, Shopify is down more than 20% from its highs. I think it's absolutely worth buying into weakness because the business has incredible staying power. And the last quarter was tremendous. Don't take it from me, though. Let's check in with Harley Finkelstein. He's the president of Shopify and a special guest, one of his clients, Denise Woodard. She's the founder and CEO of Partake Foods. We're going to learn about that to get a better sense of the story. Mr. Finkelstein, Ms. Woodard, welcome. Well, well, Harley, welcome back. And and, uh, Denise, welcome to the show. Great to have you.
7: Thanks for having us, Jim. We're so glad to be here.
3: All right, so let's hard before we get to Denise I, and Denise's story is so amazing. I can't wait to talk about it. Harley, you reported it a quarter, and right when you reported an excellent quarter, you're terrific and upfront CFO did something, Amy Shapiro, that I actually really liked. She said, look, I, I can't guarantee that 2021 can be as good as 2020 because, look, I mean, the pandemic, the pen up that could be over. But when I look at the things you're doing, merchant first focus with product innovation, when I look at this, the competitive market, list, number two to Amazon, when I look at the larger brands, the building for long-term flywheel, I don't see a company we should judge by the one quarter where the market economy is open or not. I see something long-term you're building, and I want people to understand the long-term vision because it has nothing to do with next quarter.
7: That's right. Look, uh, Jim, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that the world needs more entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs and small businesses, they are the backbone of our economies, and frankly, we need them to help our nations recover from this pandemic. Let's be clear though, the spirit of entrepreneurship was incredibly strong in 2020. We saw our merchants' resilience and their ability to adapt, uh, help them not only survive but thrive in a very difficult year. Shopify now has more than 1.7 million businesses on the platform. And many of those are consumers' favorite brands. And those brands and businesses, they trust us with their their livelihoods. And so what we're trying to do is create this fair and this equitable playing field and help create more entrepreneurs. And as we sit here, every 28 seconds, a brand new entrepreneur gets their first sale on Shopify. Now, in terms of retail, retail retail-wide, Shopify now powers about 9% of all e-commerce in the U.S. 9% is happening on Shopify. And Shopify is really a proxy for independent and direct-to-consumer brands who are taking a larger share of the retail spend. That percentage keeps growing. But those entrepreneurs, they'll be the future of commerce in the backbone of the global economic recovery. And the best example, or one of the best examples of that, is
3: Denise and Partake. Well, let's talk to Denise, because Partake is remarkable. Here's a person who needed and couldn't find the good food for her job and decided, you know what, I'm going to do it and then became one of the great entrepreneurs, raising a lot of money. Your story is fantastic. Please tell us how you did it and how Shopify has helped.
4: Sure thing. So I started Partake in August of 2017 for the reason you said. Um, My now six-year-old daughter, I couldn't find snacks for her that I felt about from a nutritional perspective that she felt good about from a taste perspective and so I left my nearly decade-long career at Coca-Cola to launch Partake and we started with three flavors of cookies as a self-funded business and we started working with Shopify from day one because it was important to us that we start generating profit very quickly and that we were able to get consumer feedback and a platform like Shopify allowed us to start for less than $50 a month and reach customers all across the country and have a direct and professional and safe relationship with them. And so Shopify has been a huge part of our story from the very beginning.
3: Well, I, I read an interview with you uh, and it's uh, it was amazing because what you talked about is what I've always felt entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs can't get. You got data, you got analytics from Shopify that shows you how people were purchasing, who the consumer really was, and that's how you were able to get to the next level. I'm always thinking that cons- the entrepreneur fails because the big guy has that data and the little person doesn't. But Shopify gave it to you. Yeah, we knew who was buying our product, where they were, and so then when we started to think about
4: brick-and-mortar retail, we could go into those regions. We knew why, can what search words people were looking to find us, and so that helped us in our digital marketing strategy and as we thought about what events to participate in. And so it was a very low-cost way to get the information that I was used to from my big CPG experience.
3: Now, Harley, uh, the amount of money, you guys have $6 billion. You're an unbelievable balance sheet. You continue to grow. But I think you have a—as does an you got a heart. And one of the things that a heart does is also make money for shareholders, not just beat. You have helped a lot of companies. Your company has helped a lot of companies get going. Uh, are you worried that uh, that—I that, don't know. I mean, let's say the economy— Uh, takes a downturn because Powell was not, the the Fed chief was not as certain as I thought about what's going to happen with the economy. Are you going to have to put out more money in entrepreneurs? And is that a good thing or a bad thing, frankly?
7: Well, look, whether it was 2008 when we had the global recession or it was 2020 when we had a global pandemic, what we saw is that entrepreneurs stepped up. They were resilient. They became the survivors of these incredible events. And on the other side, on the demand side, consumers have now completely changed their buying preferences. They want to buy local. They want to buy from independent businesses and they want to buy in their own terms. And so I know most people still know Shopify as the e-commerce provider and we do that better than anyone. But really the way to think about Shopify today is that we are a retail operating system. You can start with us for very little money at a very affordable rate, and you can sell across online, offline, across marketplaces, social media. We've now given up more than $1.7 billion in capital to small businesses through loans and cash advances. We have a payments business, a fulfillment business. What we're trying to do, Jim, is just level the playing field so that more partakes in the world can actually not only compete, but also win in their categories. And you know, We've talked before in the show that while others are building empires, Shopify is trying to the rebels. Well, the truth is
3: the rebels are now winning and it's a wonderful thing because it means more entrepreneurship is possible. Well, this is what we want. I mean, I don't think there's anyone in this country that doesn't want to have food that doesn't cause allergies, that makes their kids safe. And the people who do that should do well. And Denise Wooder, I am just thrilled to even be a part of the Partake Foods world. Congratulations to you. Harley Finkelstein, once again, you come on and you explain to us the new world. The rebels are winning. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you, Jim. Wow. You see why I like Shopify? I mean, look, I can't buy stock and partake, although they've got some big backers, including Rihanna, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can say that down 20% Shopify, maybe you ought to think about it. Man, money's back after the break.
5: After a year of the pandemic, what signal is the housing market sending to home gamers?
3: Kramer, talks mortgages and more next. Well, we've seen a lot of drama with the SPACs, right, especially in electric vehicle space. Those stocks flying to absurd heights and then falling back to Earth. Hey, but tonight, you know what I want to do? I want to highlight an an exciting special purpose acquisition vehicle that's been completely ignored. I'm talking about a company called Replay Acquisition Corp., which is merging with Finance of America. That's a vertically integrated lending platform. It looks a lot like Rocket Mortgage which I like, except they also do reverse mortgages. They make commercial loans to residential investors and home flippers, and they've got a title and appraisal division. Basically, they originate mortgages, some of which they keep, some of which they turn into mortgage-backed securities, and they sell them to investors. With the hottest high-housing market maybe ever, you might think this stock will be unstoppable, but last year, Finance of America delivered 100% revenue growth, 550% earnings growth. Seems like a slam dunk, right? Yet, this thing, <laughs> the spec they're merging with, is still trading just $10 and change, pretty much flat since the deal was announced. That, to me, that seems like an incredible bargain. Well, let's do this. Let's take a closer look with Patty Cook, the CEO of Finance of American Companies, to learn more about her business. Ms. Cook, welcome to Mad Money.
8: Wow, thanks a lot, Jim. I'm delighted and honored to be
3: here. Well, Ms. Cook, we're uh, thrilled to have you, and we're a little mystified because— I have to admit, when I see a stock that sells arguably at four times earnings, I think either something's wrong with the way the stock market looks at it or something's wrong with finance of America. So could you please tell us in the hottest housing market why your stock is so inexpensive versus the entire group?
8: Well, I think that the market has yet to fully appreciate who we are. We were designed to be a diversified consumer lending business that would deliver great customer experience and that would grow cycle resistant earnings. And the way we put the company together was purposeful. We picked three diversified lending segments. We have the fee-for-service business that you mentioned and a portfolio management group. When you put that all together and recognize that a third of our revenue comes from non-mortgage, in the fullness of time, people will appreciate the structure. And listen, I think that could happen as early as the first quarter.
3: Wow. Well, I mean, I think it's also abetted by uh, the uh, home improvement loan vertical you just uh, <laughs> announced today. So, so excited. What exactly sorry, can yes, that do so for exciting. Your, So you know, What you can it do for your earnings? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over. I mean, what can it do for your earnings?
8: Well, it can do two things for our earnings. One, the vertical will be profitable on its own. But actually, the other way to think about it is we will acquire new customers at a fast rate by doing home improvement loans. And with that, allow call it 25,000, 50,000, maybe even more customers per year. And that then gives us a new customer to talk about mortgage or reverse mortgage or a variety of other products that we're offering. So it's the economic benefit of the channel by itself as well as what other we, other things we can do with the customers acquired.
3: Well, can you demonstrate to people that even in a slowdown in the housing market, that you still can make good money?
8: Yeah, absolutely. So you go back to our diversified channels. And if you look at the mortgage market, let me make one comment mm-hmm. there. Even with the Fed's announcement today at a 350 mortgage rate, still 50% of the $11 trillion market is refinanceable. So you've still got a lot of production to come through mortgage in 21. But the benefit of our channel is the following. One, we are a strong purchase business in mortgage. Between distributed retail and wholesale, in January of 19, 75% of our business was purchased. So we love the pivot from refi to purchase. Now, at the same time, our other businesses are growing, Reverse is growing, commercials growing, incentives growing, portfolio management's growing. And that is going to allow us to generate consistent and growing earnings, regardless of the cycle in any one of those segments.
3: So I'm sure people at home are saying, well, wait a second. Maybe the problem is, is that they've lent to people that they should have lent to or people who are defaulting. Uh, But that's not the case either.
8: No, it's not. Matter of fact, we take virtually no credit risk in our business. We talk about ourselves being in the moving business as opposed to the storage business. So we make money originating loans and selling them. We do not retain credit risk.
3: Oh Well, look, I'm going to ask an obvious question. How do you get, other than, thank you for coming on Mad Money, but other than Mad Money, how do people hear about you? I mean, I'm thinking that you're at a big discount because, (laughs) frankly, there's so many SPACs. There's so many finance companies. And I remember the same thing happened, by the way, when I first talked about Rocket. And it was like, well, who are these guys? How do we find out who are these guys unless you get more brokers or underwriters to talk about you?
8: So I think a couple of things will happen once we go public. We're excited about some analysts that will pick up coverage of Finance of America. And as you point out, we're not a household brand name, right? So right. being public, being out there quarter after quarter, talking to investors, talking to analysts about what we're accomplishing, I think in the fullness of time, the stock and the multiple will improve.
3: All right, well, let me just ask you, Chairman Powell spoke. I thought that he said, basically, look, we need more people to do well in this country. Uh, We need African-Americans to do better. We need Hispanics to do better. Uh, When I think of Finance of America, I say, well, Nate, if you listen to to Powell, you didn't need him to say that. But that's got to be a positive uh, that he is saying to let it grow, right?
8: Definitely, Jim. I mean, they really didn't change their guidance, right? Things look good now. There's some exuberance in the market as we're ending covid but I think we've got a long time before we're at full employment. And therefore, I think the Fed remains accommodative.
3: And for again, for people who are maybe not as sophisticated, accommodative means for you would you get a three and a half, it's not going to a five and a half. I mean, there's still a lot of exactly. people. Exactly. Right. And that's what exactly. matters to you. It's volume. Right.
8: So at three and a half, even at three and three quarters, A fair amount of the mortgage market is still refinanceable. But what's even more important, Jim, is we are in the process of converting or converting back to a purchase market. And at three and a half, three and three quarters, even four mortgages remain affordable and that will continue to fuel growth in the purchase
3: market. Do you, are you worried at all, uh, you, uh, the, b- the background that I got said that you have financed the time home flippers. Now, that's something, that's a term I always get nervous about, because I remember home flippers in 2007, 2008. Well, you know what, they got you know, the, the banks got, hol- uh, got stuck holding the bag. How do you be sure that doesn't happen again?
8: The same. I mean, we if you look at a good example is how we handled this in COVID. So during COVID, the fix and flip market created some uncertainty for us. Mm -hmm. We were worried about the economy. We were therefore worried about the quality of the borrowers. And we were worried about our takeout at the back end. So we actually suspended originations in the second quarter. We relaunched that product in August with guidelines that we're comfortable with to meet the Demand of high quality investors and we have since seen that product grow and there's a lot of demand for it. The key is the right underwriting the right investor the right partnership and we continue to sell and find investors for that product.
3: Well, your stock's too cheap. I mean, obviously, it's just a mistake in the stock oh, I love you, Jim. Well, no, it's a mistake <laughs> in the market. I uh, hate the market and be and, and like Mad Money. How about that? Patty Cook, that CEO of Fans of America Companies. Congratulations on your acquisition today. And I think your stock is just crazy, crazy cheap. Great to see you. Love it. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Mad Money's back to the break.
5: Just chill out.
3: Chill Man is in the house! Chill Man be king! The chill man is in the house, he's happy!
5: The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns
3: We spent the week honoring frontline workers who helped us fight the pandemic. And we figured we'd keep it going tonight. Why not, right? Very special lightning round. It makes me feel great. It makes our team feel great. So it is time. <laughs> it's over the lightning round. What's about? What's about? What's just What's about? What's And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? What's over the lightning round. Let's start with Stuart, New Jersey. What's Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm great just uh, wanted to shout out to my dad who's tuned
7: in from uh, Trinidad who got me into investing at an early age we uh, love all that
3: you do oh thank you thank you very much
7: so I'm calling about a stock that you recommended a while back it didn't do so hot and you know you, you even said uh you know you might have gotten it wrong but over the last couple of months it has you know had to move higher had recent launches up their uh, video streaming services um with the recent run-up uh do you think Viacom CBS is a buy, sell, or a hold?
3: Okay, well, let me tell you. I mean, you actually mentioned my history with it, and you're right. Uh, I screwed this up. I loved it, loved it, loved it, and finally got worn down, and I uh, lost my discipline for ActionAlertPlus.com, and I sold it. And that was a big mistake. I've now watched it go up and have a tremendous respect for management, but it has gone up, up, up. So my call is that I am not the person who should be able to opine on Viacom because I screwed up so badly. It does seem to have had a big run, but I'm not the call. Matt in Ohio. Matt. Booyah, Jim. Happy Day. Hey, a uh, long time yes. listener of
2: the show. My stock today is Making My Trip. MMYT is a ticker. This
3: is very fast incoming. It reminds me of like Bacaro you know, Libre, which is like Bacaro Libre, which, which turned out to be like, uh, you know, the South American Amazon. This is a great kind of very cool travel company. My wife went to India a couple of years ago for a very long time. I wish she had this. You would get a very good deal. It is rather incredible. I, I think that if I were to travel to one of these countries and I didn't know much, it would be my preferred app. Let's go to Michael in Washington. Michael. Papa booyah, Jim. Ba-ba-booyah I'm a long time listener, and I've uh, been listening to you for over ten years. Wow. Yes. Yes. Your lessons have made me money. Thank and you. Great education. Thank you. But my stock is uh, Electra Mechanica, which is part of the three-wheel, three-wheel revolution. It's an EV vehicle that's insured like a motorcycle, and it fits really nicely packaged into the urban mobility concept. And my question, and they're just getting ready to open a, a factory here in the U.S. It's a Canadian maker uh, here in the U.S. in uh, Mesa, Arizona, very soon. But, Michael, aren't you, I mean, it is a crowded field. I mean, I absolutely believe in that kind of transport, but I think it's a very crowded field. I am concerned that, therefore, there is too much competition. So even though I think it is a good company, and I know that space, and we've had some people on from that space, I am worried that there's just too much guys going at each other. Let's go to uh, uh, Berkeley in California. Berkeley. Berkeley. Yes. Hi. Hi.
8: Um, Well, first off, I would just like to say I've been watching your show since I'm about five years old. Uh, A huge fan. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Me and my dad every day. But anyways, um, first off, um, anchor down. And now I'll give you my question. Um, So sales of plant-based milk are growing, including Starbucks, intending to make oat milk available in all United stores
4: in 2021. Oatly from Sweden has filed for an IPO. Will the rate
8: of change in earnings in SunOcta, the largest provider of oat milk, make it a good investment from the current price of $15.20?
3: Well, I'll tell you, you. I mean, earlier in the writing round, I talked about a stock that I got wrong. Another one that I did, I wanted to do this synopsis so bad. It just kept going higher and higher and higher. And I got to tell you, I think it's a winner. I, I, when it got to 12, I said, I missed it, I missed it, but I haven't. And you're right. I think it's a good stop. I think you're right. Let's go to Nick in California, please. Nick. Hey, Jim. Congratulations on 16 years. I'm oh, happy thank, you. Day. thank you. Thank uh, you.
7: I just wanted to say thank you for all the advice and guidance over the years. You've
3: helped my two daughters, my wife, and the whole family become successful home gamers. Yes, Appreciate that's it. what we want. That's what this show's about. Diamond hands, whatever. Uh, I don't care. If we're helping people make money, we're doing the right thing. What's up?
7: Great. Uh, With the most recent
3: pullback and potential catalyst for this staff, who soon will transfer and become a local Bay Area company next month, uh, a possible infrastructure bill and a push for renewable energy is now a good time to take a position in STEM. Kicker symbol STPK. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, it's, you know, it's valued at $1.5 billion now. I think it's got, you know, we had them on. I think it's a very impressive outfit, and you're right. It's a great infrastructure play. Some people feel the, the, that I got too excited and, crowd, and that there's too much competition. I like it. I think it's good stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
5: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Being bullish on Tesla was once scoffed at. So what changed? Kramer's looking back and telling you how a change in perspective on certain stocks might be a plus for your portfolio.
3: When the dot-com bubble burst 21 years ago, our whole society became disenchanted with the market. The 90s were a magical time for stock picking. Ronald McDonald market. Uh, But by 2001, nobody believed in magic anymore. (laughs) For the next two decades, disenchantment reigned supreme. Then about 18 months ago, Tesla, the stock, started skyrocketing. And this run has been so incredible that it has single-handedly made us believers again. You look at all the SPACs investing in electric vehicles, especially the good ones, like Fisker, Lucid Motors, and it's clear Tesla's changed the way we see the world and therefore the way we see the world of business. It's almost hard to imagine now, but a few years ago, there were tons of very smart people who'd come on air and point blank argue that Tesla was a dead man walking. Just a bankruptcy waiting to happen. If you said something positive about Elon Musk, you were dismissed as a fool At every major milestone. Oh, it's bigger than Ford. Oh, it's bigger than GM. Oh, it's bigger than Ford and GM. Oh, it's bigger than Ford, GM, Toyota. The brave bulls like Kathy Wood from ARK or Ron Barron, frequent squawk box contributor, they get slammed by their fellow professionals who made a big show of how they were being rigorous and barron and Wood dreamers. I try to avoid talking to hedge fund managers, but... Every time I said something positive about Musk, I'd get a ton of blowback from him. Clearly, I, too, was a clown who couldn't read a balance sheet. Well, what can I say? Once it became clear that Tesla could make money on cars, which was, by the way, last year this week, uh, and the Musk could raise all the capital he needed, that was about 18 months ago, then the deal was sealed and the stock was off the races. Of course, we forget that during this period, the goalposts were shifted. They were pushed closer together, though, because Tesla went from being a car company to being a technology company. Very hard to justify this kind of valuation for an automaker. But if it's a tech stock that has a $674 billion market capital, that's a valuation that feels a lot more reasonable, right? Easier to swallow. After Tesla got the ball rolling, all sorts of non-tech companies started being reclassified as tech plays. And they were uh, crushing it without any profits. If DoorDash is a group of delivery people, it's worth very little. But if it's a tech company, $43 billion. If Airbnb is a lodging service, you've got to value it like a struggling innkeeper. If it's a tech company, $120 billion. Uh, Uber. Cab company, death store. Tech company, 105 billion. All these stories are at least powered by technology, but now we're seeing this argument everywhere. Lennar, the gigantic and fantastic home builder, just called itself a technology aware and technology-engaged home builder in its conference school that invests in tech. Boom! Stock shoots up 14%. It's never done that before as it gets re-rated as a tech stock on the fly. Angie, just tonight, made a compelling case, I thought, for being a technology-powered home servicing company. Not some handyman's list. But these companies can only pull that off because Tesla has changed the way we view the market. The same reason all the electric vehicle SPACs trade, like tech stocks, not auto stocks. Now, throughout this period, disenchanted investors rushed to make the old comparisons. They did want to judge uh, Tesla versus Ford or GM. But you know what? That is apples and oranges. That was never going to fly with this new crop of investors who's in charge. They're believers. Of course, that's not always an easy thing to grasp. Do you believe in magic? I mean, because that's how GameStop goes from being a struggling video game retailer to potentially fast-growing digital retailer, even though we don't even know what they'd be selling. But it doesn't matter to the believers. GameStop brought in Ryan Cohen, the co-founder of Chewy, on the board of directors. He owns a ton of stock. And Chewy pulled off this transformation. I mean, it went from being a pet food retailer to the digital disruptor of the pet food industry. Some say the Tesla of dog food. Well, how about the Tesla of video games? Now, I know that someday we're going to lose the magic mojo again. The market never stays enchanted forever. Until last week, it looked like the skeptics had the upper hand, actually. But now the believers are coming out of the woodwork again. And if you try to fight it, you're liable to get run over by a Lucid or a Fisker or the original Tesla. And given how much money has been made, an argument could be made that perhaps you should be. I like to say... There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you I'll find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small
7: and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.